Hey friends, this is Pastor Elizabeth, and you're listening to the Faith Church Podcast. You're about to hear the second sermon in our Advent series, Close to Home, in which we're exploring the ways our true home is in God, and God makes a home with us in the Incarnation. The focus of this sermon is Zechariah's song in Luke chapter 1, also called the Benedictus. I preached it on Sunday, December 5th, 2021. I hope that while you're listening, you might hear something that draws you closer to the heart of God. Here we go. Many of you know that a few years ago, I was part of the Upper Room's two-year academy for spiritual formation. And this was a wonderful experience in which I was part of a cohort of about 60 men and women, uh, both pastors and normal people like you, Uh, who gathered for a week-long retreat uh, once every three months for two years to learn more about the spiritual life and how to keep growing in faith no matter where we are on the journey. And for each of these retreats, we kept the same schedule. We would worship together in the morning before breakfast and then spend time with a teacher or a spiritual practitioner, followed by silent time to digest what we just learned, And then after lunch and a little free time, we would meet with another teacher or a spiritual practitioner and then have silent time to digest what we had just learned. And then in the evening after dinner, we had small group time and we worshiped together again as a whole group before bed. But the time between the last worship in the evening and the first worship in the morning was called the great silence. And during that time, you can imagine, there was no talking. And if possible, no making noise at all. Between the amen at the end of evening prayer and praying new every morning is your love at morning prayer, the next day we had no speech. Now, some of us handled all this silence better than others. The extroverts in our group kept loitering in group spaces and hallways, hoping to run into others so that they could communicate with their made-up sign language of dramatic gestures and then giggle about it, while the rest of us were content to go straight to our rooms. I personally had no trouble not talking uh, during those late night and early morning hours, but I did find that I wanted to read. I still wanted the input of other people's voices to fill the space, because without them, I might have to listen to my own inner voice, and I might hear the Holy Spirit say something I'm not interested in, or learn something about myself that isn't all that flattering. But either way, every day morning came, and we trudged into the chapel, some of us still a little drippy from the shower, some clutching coffee mugs like they were providing oxygen, the early birds coming back from long morning walks, faces aglow. And we lifted our voices for the first time in about 10 hours to pray, new every morning is your love. And then each day we sang the Benedictus, the blessing, Zechariah's song, which Carly just read for us. And many days, the tune started like this. Will you give me that E? Yes, it's very high. <clears throat> Starts like this. In the tender compassion.
compassion of our God, the morning sun from heaven will rise upon us. Okay, and it goes on and on. It's really lovely, but it never sounded good. <laughs> First thing in the morning, we had gifted, gifted singers in our cohort, but nobody sounded good because nobody was warmed up. This song was always a little snarfly and raspy and hoarse. It always resulted in some coughing and throat clearing. And yet, we went into the day reminded of the history of God's work in the world. Reminded that God is faithful, that God's way is salvation, and that God's path is peace. And I have to wonder if having not spoken for, I don't know, nine months, when Zechariah broke out into song at the celebration of his son's miraculous circumcision and naming, if his voice wasn't a little hoarse and raspy too. And yet what he shared is one of the most beautiful songs in all of Scripture one that's been sung in morning prayer services since the 7th century, a song that lays the foundation for all that is to come, including the birth of the Messiah. Now, it's interesting that we get these two birth narratives intertwined in Luke's gospel. By the end of chapter 1, where we are today, Luke has already had the angel Gabriel visit both Mary and Elizabeth to tell them about their unexpected pregnancies. And Mary has sung her song, which we'll hear in worship in a few weeks. And we know that Mary has been visiting in her cousin Elizabeth's home, but apparently she's gone back to her own home now. And here we have the birth of Elizabeth's son, John which actually gets more airtime in Luke than the birth of Jesus himself. In the rest of the gospel, we don't hear all that much from John. He's a well-known character, but no more prominent than a disciple or another of Jesus's friends. So it's interesting that the author of the gospel is so intent on telling us in detail about his beginning. And that Zechariah's song is shared here in full is significant as well. It mirrors Mary's song called the Magnificat, as well as the song Hannah sings at the beginning of 1 Samuel. Those songs were also sung for the birth of a miraculous child, but none of them are only about the birth. Instead, all of these people sing about who God is, and what God has done, and what God will do in the future. Zechariah begins by praising the God who fulfills the promises of liberation and redemption. Promises made to Abraham all the way back in Genesis, the first book of the Bible. Promises the people of Israel had been leaning on and waiting for for centuries. Zechariah remembers everything that God has already done and the promises made through the prophets over all these years. Zechariah's name even means God remembered. He is living testimony and giving verbal testimony that while the people of Israel might currently be oppressed, 
may be currently living in difficulty, God has not forgotten them. God remembers not only God's people, but also the promises God has made. And the thing is, the biggest promise, the promise of the coming Messiah, isn't even fulfilled yet. The Savior from the house of David that Zechariah references in his song isn't his own son, John, but the son of Mary, who isn't yet born. Zechariah trusts that his miraculous child, the one who has just arrived, is going to clear the path toward the Savior, though he hasn't seen him yet. And Zechariah uses his very first words after all those months to praise not the beautiful baby in his arms, but the God who made it so. It's interesting, too, that before we even get to Zechariah's song, there's so much conversation about John's name. It's unusual that he wasn't named until his circumcision on the eighth day. And it's also interesting that so many people, both neighbors and relatives, seem so invested in the naming of this baby. The scripture says they wanted to name him Zechariah. And I'm like, um, since when do neighbors get to weigh in on the name of your kid? But we know that names are important, that everyone has ideas on what the best names are, whether or not we want them to, and that names carry weight and significance, especially in that time, but also now. I have an older sister who's named after my maternal grandmother, Emily. And when my mother was pregnant with me, my paternal grandmother told her straight up that it's the greatest honor in all the world to have a child named after you. <laughs> and at first, my parents thought they were going to get out of it because the doctor thought I was going to be a boy, and they picked out the name Matthew. But when I turned out to be a girl, that little speech from my granny rang in their ears, and they gave me the first name Virginia after her. And not only did this honor my granny, but it also connected me to her in a profound way, even though I always went by my middle name. Because it is an honor to have a child named after you. And in Zechariah and Elizabeth's time, while a son didn't always get named after his father, it would have been very unusual not to name him after some relative. Because carrying on the name is what kept ancestors' memories alive. A mother absolutely had the authority to name her son. That wasn't just something that the father did, though you might expect that by the way the neighbors acted in this story. But there would be an expectation that the mother would honor her husband and his family by choosing a family name. So Zechariah and Elizabeth break with convention here. They clearly recognize the importance of history and tradition. They've already named the things that God has done to lay the foundation for this historic birth. But they also understand that sometimes God's call is to do the unexpected, even the culturally unacceptable, to resist pressure from others when you know that it's in conflict with the will of God. 
They understand how to walk the line between continuity and discontinuity, between tradition and innovation. And they know how to step out of the spotlight when necessary, to decenter themselves in the story so that God takes center stage, which is especially significant considering that both Zechariah and Elizabeth were from the upper classes and well-respected in their community. They would have been used to the spotlight, to having voice and power and authority. But here, on perhaps the most momentous day of their lives, simply by following the direction of the angel and telling the gathered crowd that their son's name is John, they create space for something new to happen. They make space for God to do a new thing. And by doing so, they lay the foundation for a deep and lasting peace. And I wonder what God is calling each of us to do in this season that might break with convention, that might be unexpected or even culturally unacceptable what might lead us to step out of the spotlight, to decenter ourselves, to make space for God to work. I wonder how we might walk that line during this season that is so full of tradition, the line between honoring the past and laying the foundation for something new. And I wonder how many of our songs this season might be more about who God is and how God remembers promises than about what we want for ourselves. Perhaps Zachariah's song is often overlooked this time of year because he's singing at the birth of the one who prepares the way rather than at the birth of the one we celebrate but I wonder if this doesn't also make Zachariah's song our song, because we are called to prepare the way too. We aren't called to be the Savior, the Messiah, and thank God for that. But each of us is called to clear a space, to lay a foundation on which the story of God can unfold. So this season, I pray that we might sing with Zechariah, with our first raspy words of the morning and all that follow, praising the one who brings salvation and guides us on the path of peace, who calls us to do the unexpected, to prepare the way. Amen. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Faith Church Podcast. If what you heard was meaningful to you, please share this podcast with a friend. If you have any questions, or if we can support you on your spiritual journey in some way, don't hesitate to reach out through our website at www.faithunited.org. Tune in next week for the third sermon in our Close to Home series. 
in which we focus on the call to work for a home for all. And we'll all prepare our hearts for Christmas together. Until then, take care. <laughs>